When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is September 14th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. Welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and great news, everyone. The Bruins are back on the ice. Captain's practice was on Monday, and who better to talk to to get this season going, to talk about the season, than Connor Ryan. Obviously, Connor's going to come on to discuss that. He was at practice on Monday, and I thought this episode would discuss the biggest storylines facing the team and the storylines I think we're going to hear the most about this year. You're going to wonder about, you're going to tweet about, think about, and it's going to be on your mind all the time. And we previewed them. There are about five, five biggest storylines heading into this season. And they're big ones. They are big ones. These are ones, I'm not going to say, it's hard to compare year by year because at the time, you know, there are big questions always. But these feel like the big ones. These feel huge. Um, Guys coming back, you know, big pieces of the, the veteran core coming back. I don't think we've had that in past years. We haven't wondered if Chara is going to come back. He went to the Capitals last year. Uh, and before that, there wasn't any big piece of the veteran core that left. This year, there was two. One seems like he'll be back. Another, they're saying might be, but probably won't be. Who knows? These were the biggest storylines of the year. And here is my conversation with Connor Ryan. <laughs> And we're here with Connor Ryan. Connor, what is up? Evan, doing well. How you doing? I'm doing great. I had a tough start to my Monday, though. As people know, people we record this on Mondays. So I got up at 5 a.m. on Monday. People think, wow, Evan, you're crazy. And you'd be correct. Sick brag. Sick brag. I was going to the gym. Uh, <laughs> I had to go before work. I had to start work at 8. Had, had to go to the gym. Ha- couldn't, couldn't do it after. I had to go before. Uh, but so I, I wake up at five, whatever. I also like getting up when like no one else is up when it's just like me and I, you know, you, you don't, it's just, you just get to go right out, you, you know, you just making gains in peace. No stress. It's perfect. I mean like the house too, just like get, you know, leaving and waking up and the whole big thing, whatever. Anyways, I go to walk out the front door and what's scurrying across the front yard, but a massive skunk. And I am so, I'm so scared of skunks, hate skunks. And if you see a big skunk, I think, my God, my mind's playing tricks on me. Like, there's no way that's actually real. So I, I thought I saw it go in the woods. I go outside, and I start walking down towards uh, my car. And halfway between me and my car is the skunk, and it's walking towards me. And I'm like, no way. So I run back into the house. Took me so long to decide. Ended up using the car in the garage instead, so I didn't have to go outside. Then I there get to go. the gym. Supposed to be open at 5. No one showed up to open it. So people were just waiting around the door until about 6.30. I felt so bad for the guy who had to come open it because he was getting like attacked by the people. You know, people were just like roid rage, like, Ugh, like open it up. And none of that. So that was my Monday. That was the start to my Monday. 
I implore you to have a worse Monday than me. It was a tough start, but we're here now. And that's all that matters. We are here. Yeah, I was gonna say mine was much less eventful. I I got a Duncan. Uh, it was uh, it was timely. Uh, I didn't hit any traffic, and I went to Warrior and I watched some hockey. So that that's... was that was my that was my riveting Monday. <laughs> that's a way better Monday. Yes. Um, it's funny you mentioned your tweets about dunks, by the way, about how they always you know mood when I get like an extra hash brown. Now that I'm more like open to it or like aware of it, I've been getting uh more hash browns lately. Like I'll be getting like seven, eight. And I'm like, damn. I think it's I like just like, calm or just having like a positive mental mindset, or, or maybe just playing tricks on you. Maybe it is still just five, and you're not paying <laughs> attention. You just think, yeah, you know, your mind's playing tricks on you. Whatever it is, it's better to have that positive thinking than like be dwelling on the fact that maybe you're still gonna just get saddled with five, or God forbid, four. God forbid four. You can't be having four. That cannot be happening. That would ruin um, my Monday. That would ruin my Monday as well, as if it wasn't already ruined. But anyways, uh, Bruins practice, first captain's practice of uh, the year was on Monday. You were there. Uh, as you, nothing crazy happened, kind of just some drills, getting back into the swing of things. The normal suspects were there. Um, so I figure this episode will discuss the biggest storylines uh, we think that will be kind of prevalent throughout the year, the biggest ones that we think will have an impact um, as the season goes along. And I think we'll start with this one because I think this will be the one that will be there from start to finish or start to middle. When will Tuka Rask, when will the Bruins need Tuka Rask? When will he be ready? How uh, will Tuka Rask do? How is he ready? And will the Bruins even need uh, Tuka Rask? And to kind of go back to the how, how will they make that work? I don't know, and I know we've said this before. I have no idea how this is actually going to work. You can do cap gymnastics, but are you going to send Swayman down? Um, are you going to – like what are you going to do? Now, obviously, we can't sit here and project how Swayman's going to do. We can't sit here and project how uh, Olmark's going to do, uh, how they fit the what the price is. But what do you think is going to happen? Like if you had to really make a prediction, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, it is tough, as you said, because it's one, it's going to be maybe the most frustrating storyline and that I think from October all the way till January, when by that point we'll actually have a clearer picture, you're going to have that speculation. Like, I could see whether it's the first week of the season and Olmark and Swimman both have shutouts or they both get lit up in their first couple of games. You're going to hear one side or the other about like, oh, we need Rask back. Or it's like, we don't need Rask back. You shut out the Buffalo Sabres. Like, you know, it's, you're going to have those two different, you know, arguments kind of pulling, pulling at the rope, kind of having their own tug of war in terms of what is the best path to have. And the truth of the matter is we don't know. We don't know yet. Right. If you're looking at the best case scenario of Olmark who builds off of the numbers he put together in, in Buffalo and based on the way the Burns are paying him, you imagine that's what they're expecting or at the very least hoping for getting out of him. But a lot can change. You know, it could be, you know, even injuries, what have you, or just maybe a dip in performance. But then with Swayman as well, would the Bruins love for him to be a Calder, a Calder Trophy, you know, candidate, a guy who, you know, runs with the opportunity given to him and builds off of last year? Of course. Is it realistic or is it, you know, healthy thinking to expect him to do that? No, I think it's better to temper expectations. And if he's the chosen one and all of a sudden, you know, we look at in January, he's got a, a nine, you know, two, six, eight percentage. That's fantastic. But if you go into it expecting that you're either going to be disappointed, you're putting way too much expectations on a, a guy who's still, 
you know, I think a lot of teams are still looking to get the book out on him. So as for what I think is going to happen, I have to imagine considering they've talked about it so much that Rask will be back in some capacity, how those pieces fall in line. It's tough to even map out because I feel like you just – again, we've, we've talked about this before, but I feel like Charlie and uh, Always Sunny, where he's got that big board, you know, looking at like uh, – you know, looking at different scenarios. That's how it is looking at the goalie situation because, yeah, I'll, I'll say that I think probably Rask is back in some capacity, but to go through all the domino effects of, of what led, led to that, whether it's, all right, do they do a three-man rotation? Is Swayman – you know, sent down to Providence with more reps. Is Allmark injured? Like, there's so many things that can go into it. But I have to imagine, considering they've already opened that door, uh, and it seems like Cap wouldn't be an issue, that he's back in some capacity. But, again, a whole lot can change over the span of a week, a month, all that, especially with the situation like the Bruins have in that right now. Yeah, to me, like, again, I I think if I had to guess, I think Swayman and Allmark are good. Not amazing. I don't think you're going to, I don't think they're going to make it super easy for the Bruins in the sense that they're going to say, well, these guys are playing out of their mind good. We, we, there's no reason to bring you back, Tuca. And I don't think they're going to make it easy in the sense that they're both going to be terrible or one's going to be terrible. And then it's like, well, we'll replace Swayman. We'll send him to Providence because he hasn't been playing well. We'll bring Raskin or Omar hasn't been playing well. We're going to sit him on the ninth floor, eat the five million for now and bring Rask back. I think they're going to be good. I think they're going to be solid NHL goalies. I think it's, it, you know, it's expected that they're going to go through slumps. Um, they might not always be, uh, tremendous or, or elite, so to speak, but they'll be good, which then makes the decision all the more hard for the Bruins who have to say, is Rask worth bringing back? You know, is this, and it's going to become a gamble. You know, the Bruins are going to think, do we, do we take the chance of the goalies that we have now and kind of go past the, the, uh, franchise goalie like Rask? Or do we bring Rask in and hope that doesn't stunt Swayman's growth or something like that? I think in that case, I think they still would bring Rask in. Um, making the money work, though, is going to be tough because you're also going to have to, around that time, think about spending in other places uh, with trades and such. And also, again, how long is Rask's contract? Because I remember in that EEI interview, he said something about playing past this year, too. Like, this is not, it's not like this is going to do like half a year and then end it. He expects to be around longer. And he made it pretty clear that he, that's what he wants. So that's another thing. You have Olmark for four years, correct? At five million mm-hmm. per. Yep. And you have Swayman, who's young, and you clearly think highly of. I don't know where Rask fits in that. I don't. I don't. But I think they, in the long run, they will end up uh, fitting him into that. Uh, so I think that's one of the top storylines. I think another top storyline that people are forgetting because Derek Forbert exists, but I think they shouldn't be forgetting because Derek Forbert exists. What is the left side like on D? They didn't improve drastically. This was not, you know, going out and getting Matias Ekholm or um, who was another big left shot defenseman that they were potentially. In I mean, on it this was year? you would look at like Alexiak or or even like Alexiak the team, Martinez or something like that. Yep. So that would have been a pretty big improvement, but it was Derek Forbert and Forbert gets you bigger and he's better killing penalties and such, but how much better does he make your left side? I don't know if it's that drastic. So you're going into the season with Grizzlick, uh, Forbert and Riley, however you want to list those, be my guest. It's probably going to end up being Forbert, uh, Riley, Grizzlick. How how does the left side on D play out? I mean, are we, do you think we're going to be sitting here in February saying, oh, they got to go out and get a left shot defenseman for the second straight year? Yeah. I mean, it's, you even draw parallels with kind of like the middle six of the Bruins right now and the left side of the defense in which 
you have plenty of options. You have a lot of intriguing kind of combinations and pairings and linings and lines that you can kind of roll through right now. But are any of them like set in stone or enough that you're like, all right, you can pencil that in. Like if David Krejci was back, you could pencil that second line. Like, all right, you know, if it ain't broke, you know, Hall, Krejci, Smith, good to go. Now you've got a situation where, let's say, just on the left side, you put Forbert with McAvoy, probably still going to be pretty good. You put most people with Charlie McAvoy, you're probably going to have a pretty effective top pair. You put us with Charlie McAvoy, be good. Yes. Well, yeah, remarkably, probably. Um, but you look at, you know, <laughs> even uh, Brennan Kahlo with Mike Riley, which they put together good numbers last year in the limited time they were together. Pretty good. You put Grizzlick, who also is a pretty good player with Kahlo. Pretty good. Like it's all about just finding the right the right fit and you know whether it's just the right mix as opposed to how effective they can be. Because I think if if McAvoy takes another big step forward, which I imagine we all think he's going to do, if Brennan Carlo stays healthy, you've got a pretty good top four regardless of who you know fits in. Let's say next to Carlo, whether it's Riley or Grizzly. I mean, both guys give you a puck moving option there. A guy that at five on five can generate offense from the blue line. Um, you know, the pieces are there that make them an intriguing matchup. And whoever doesn't, you know, make the cut between Grizzick and Riley is your third pairing guy. We will get easier matchups and kind of drive that pairing next to one of Clifton or Lyle. So you have options. It's just, you know, is it the, the right mix of what you were looking for when, like, you know, let's say you're pretty good right now, but could you have been great if you got an Ekholm or someone like that and put you over the top? I think that's the question is you've got, multiple you know combinations you can look at it's just whether or not it's the right fit and it's the same with let's say the third line where you have Howla and DeBrusque and Felino. is it intriguing yes could they be good yeah but is it the same as you know going over the top and getting a legit you know putting coil down there with a hopefully revitalized DeBrusque and uh, Felino or, or Howla no, like you're you're still kind of making concessions along the way and hoping that just this intrigue and opportunity leads to tangible production, which we don't really know for sure we're going to get just yet. Best case scenario, Derek Forbert turns into like Dennis Seidenberg. Uh, yeah, I mean, in the yeah, top four. Be, like that would be a great, be a huge yeah, best, I mean, <laughs> best case scenario is Bobby Orr. Uh, yes. But, but it, it doesn't seem like that's super likely because I think offensively, I don't think Forbert is – all that incredible offensively. I think the big thing, best case scenario would be even, you know, just being good enough offensively, being like a Brandon Carlo um, mm-hmm. offensively uh, and being able to face those tough matchups. Cause I don't believe Forbert is like this guy who is always eating up those top matchups. If I'm correct. Uh, I don't think the numbers completely indicate that. I think you would be more. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean he, was, he, he was like a solid, like, I guess, go-to shutdown guy for Winnipeg, but also, like, it's to be noted that Winnipeg didn't really have the most stout decor, so he's more thrown into those matchups, <laughs> but, again, held his own. Connor Hellebuck behind you. Yes, again, so he held his own in terms of what was asked of him, so, again, I think you put most guys with McAvoy, I think it's, you're going to have a good top pair, and is he better than Jeremy Lozon, who opened the year with McAvoy last year? I think he is. It's just whether or not, you know, they're you know, are you going to have a very good top pair in which McAvoy is driving it? Or are you going to have like an elite pair, you know, like where all of a sudden it's the perfect fit. And if Fulbert is, you know, locked in and negating scoring chances, you freed up McAvoy to be much more active in the offensive zone. And it's a perfect fit. That's what they hope is going to happen. 
Is it going to happen? Is a guy like Fulbert the right guy to entrust that in? Remains to be seen. I, I think they're going to be a good top pair, but whether just how much of the ceiling you can chart is going to depend on just how he fits with McAvoy. Because as much as Fulbert, I think, is a solid pickup, I feel like whether it's the fact that we didn't see him that much last year in Canada or he's just not a high-profile for agent, so we don't really know that much yet still about Fulbert. Like, we know that he's, like, a big-bodied guy, but I think we need to see a lot more tape of him, especially how he fares with this, you know, supporting cast where we get a good picture of what exactly he can bring to this team. For sure, and I think him with his uh, added deal and maybe a little older could be back and better than ever. Mike Riley, Matt Grizzly could also, with their ages, be back and better than ever. But you know who's for sure back and better than ever? That's Bet Online. Uh, all eyes are on the gridiron uh, as teams are back on to start another football season. And as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With the new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football and hockey and basketball. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Remember, promo code NFL100 from football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So those are the top two storylines. The next two kind of involve each other. And it's kind of along the lines of the Rask uh, style of storyline. First of all, how does Charlie Coyle do replacing David Krejci? And then along with that, is David Krejci going to return? Because I think this is the same thing. This hinges with the Rask thing. I think it's obviously way less likely that Krejci returns. If you were to put Rask's return at a percentage, I think it'd be around like 70 to 75%. Krejci would be around like 15%. Yeah, 15-20. Um, 15-20 would be the, the ideal number right there. But if Coyle has 30 points through 65 games – yeah, 65 games, because that would be around that time, 60 games. You will hear and see everyone calling for David Krejci to return. Um, now, if Coyle does produce, I think you'll still see it because it's still like, hey, you need playoff crutch. How can you not have you're playoff still, You're crutch? still dangling. I mean, it's not, it's not going to help that I think between now and, like, you know, the, the time where the Czech extra league season is over, we're going to hear probably a lot more quotes of, like, well, yeah, we hope to have him back. It's like, honestly, I just wish we would just stop talking about it because now it's just like yes. – Every time I think we're done talking about this, someone like takes a little thing of charcoal, just like throws it on the grill. It keeps <laughs> that that hope flickering just a little bit. So like I know we're just gonna hear it like time and time and again going forward. And it's not gonna help that like David Krejci's probably gonna have like be a point per game guy over overseas. So and Spokes is gonna keep tweeting the highlights of him just of dangling people and scoring goals and making things look easy. People are like, oh, see, look how good he'd be with the Bruins. It's like. It's a little bit worse hockey, which kudos him. He's home. Like, he's just kind of chilling, dominating, whatever. Like, go for it, man. Um, So kudos to Krejci. But I do wonder, though, how Coyle does replace in Krejci. And, again, this is another thing that we won't really get to see until the season starts because he can look as good as he wants in camp. I don't care. Uh, It's going to come down to how you do in these games. But all signs point to him playing a lot better. I mean, and we've said this in past episodes, you know, uh, fixed knee. That's big. Uh, way better line mates. 
You know, you have Hall on your left, Craig Smith on your right. That beats what you've had in the past few years. That's even obviously a lot better than Johansson and Hayden. Um, and then also you kind of have job security in a sense. Like granted, yeah, Stadnika is there too and could potentially skate in there if you suck. But even then, I mean, I don't, for, it's not like Krejci's the third line center now. And it's like, you know, they're just waiting to move Krejci back up. It's not like Conan and Jay Leno, you know, a few years, you know, back in like 10 years ago. He's got the second line center spot. Do you see him, if you had to project, what do you see him doing this year? Yeah, I mean, I think what you see is what you get with Charlie Coyle. And I don't think it's going to be all of a sudden a revelation of like, who knew? Like Charlie Coyle was a 65, 70 point guy, right? Like, I don't think that production is <laughs> going to be there. But you have to look at whether or not. You know, as you said, there's a lot of factors working in his favor, you know, whether it be just the healthy knee, the much better alignments. I mean, I think you can almost, I think it's better for people if they're projecting this team and this effectiveness of some of these lines to just view Taylor Hall as like the new David Krejci isn't fair to him. And it's not ideally what the Bruins are probably <laughs> looking for. But when you've got a guy like Taylor Hall, who's hopefully building off of the numbers he put together last year, you've got kind of that guy who can make something out of nothing, can drive play, even as a winger, you know, that whether it's him, you know, breaking through the neutral zone uh, and, you know, generating a great a look of, of working with, with Charlie Coyle as a puck possession guy and, you know, opening lanes and, and getting guys like Craig Smith in a great a ice, I think the production's going to be there. And, you know, it, it's all going to come down to whether or not, kind of the same with like Fulbert and whether he's the, the right fit and whether or not you could have aimed higher, like, Maybe Charlie Coyle by over an 82-game span is a 45-50 point guy, and he's solid in his role. And again, sometimes I don't think the stats always map out just how effective a guy like Coyle can be. But if you get to, let's say, February, and your line's doing pretty well, like, you know, if you over an 82-game span, you've got Taylor Hall and Craig Smith both on pace for 20, 20 goals and, you know, 55, 60 points, and you're doing pretty well. But if David Krejci, that discussion is still out there dangling and it's an opportunity for you, or the Sharks are fully, you know, you know, selling a guy like Thomas Hurdle as maybe the top deadline pickup, then you got to look at it, right? Because maybe your second line is still going to be pretty good this year, or at least solid. But if you can elevate that, whether it's Krejci coming back or trading for Hurdle, you have to imagine that's on the table. Because again, be a good problem to have regardless of what the move is. If, you, you move a guy like Coyle back to 3C for the time being, and you have a better solution in there, whether it's crazy or hurdle. So it's going to be a thing where even if it's maybe exceeding expectations, I still don't think until the deadline passes and rosters get locked in for the playoffs, where I feel like the Bruins are still going to be evaluating how to improve that that you know strength down the middle, whether it be filling in for Krejci's absence or the other looming question, which is going to be you know Bergeron in his future going forward, because – I think we're going to hear about that quite a bit, too, over the next couple of months. Yes. I also think the hurdle thing is interesting. Not to get too nitpicky, because obviously you want a guy like Tomas Hurdle, but um, you mentioned Taylor Hall being the line driver of uh, of that of that trio. Remember early on when he was playing with Krejci, one of the things he mentioned was he got to play with a right shot center. You wonder, Coyle's a right shot center as well, and you wonder if that's mm-hmm. going well. Is, is Taylor Hall going to love the idea of, going back to a left shot center. I don't know. It's just something to think about. I wonder if they take that into consideration. Um, if things are going well, if things are bad, I mean, if there's no production, then obviously it's different. Uh, but I do wonder about that. I think one thing you can book is 
the coil line is going to be very good in the ozone. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I can't guarantee production because with coil, it's very hard to tell. You know, you can tell his knee's better, maybe produce a little bit more. But with his knee being better and, and Craig Smith there and Taylor Hall there, I think they're going to be very good cycling the puck down deep in the ozone, getting good looks, getting to the high danger areas, you know, getting pucks up to the point as well. I think you can book that. I think that is something that's definitely going to happen. Um, and with that comes goals. It should. I mean, at least it has in the past for Craig Smith. It has for Taylor Hall. Hasn't for Charlie Coyle, but maybe being in between those guys, it can work. Another thing you mentioned is the middle six in general. Um, and I think that's a storyline that's going to be big as well. Um, and this was something I mentioned right after they made all those free agent signings was, you know, yeah, the top, you know, your, your, your second line isn't as good, but what you can definitely book is you're deeper um, on lines three and four. And you know that most likely you're going to get a lot more scoring out of those. So maybe that, that scoring spread out between lines three and four, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's a pretty good thing because you can't shut one line down and have the, the whole scoring uh, be done. So, yeah, I think Coyle's much better this year. I think it's it's safe to say. I'm just I'm very interested to see what that point production is, whether that's 45 points, 50 points, 55, 100, 150 becomes the next Mario Lemieux. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's somewhere around between if you can get between 40 and or 45 points and up, I think you're happy. I think you're good. <laughs> And also depends on how Craig Smith and Taylor Hall do. So that's kind of what you want. That's your, that's your sweet spot. Um, you mentioned it a little bit, Bergeron. This is something I think we're going to hear a lot about, whether it's us joking about him retiring or him, you know, there's real talk about it, which I doubt there will be any real substantive things throughout the season. I think it's more you're going to look for certain things. You're going to look for maybe what he says when asked about it, which I think he'll probably stop getting asked about it. Um, once the season starts, cause it's just gonna be the same answer every time I'm focusing on this season. But I think if he gets injured throughout this year, you know, if you see him go down with injuries throughout the year, he's had groin problems in the past. I think then you could start to wonder if this might be his last year or, or, uh, second to last year. But if he's putting up 80 points, I think it's gonna be hard to think that he's done, right? Yeah. No, I'd imagine if it's another, I wouldn't say status quo, maybe just how good Bergeron is that. It- status quo year would be something like that where he's, you know, a point per game guy, top three in the Selkie again. But if he has another year like that, it'd be tough to see him, uh, you know, caught quits then. But again, crazy things have happened. We also didn't think going into this offseason that David Krejci was going to go play in the Czech Republic and with a team with a big rooster on its chest. So I don't think we saw that coming. (laughs) So crazy things have happened. Uh, And again, you know, who, who knows how this season maps out with that and, I think just the overall status of Bergeron is obviously, you know, dude's the captain, guy is, you know, if he's out any extended time at all, it's going to be tough for the Bruins to overcome, especially in this year where as much as he's not getting any younger, the reliance on Bergeron is even more heightened this year with Krejci gone, right? Because in years past when Bergeron has had multiple nagging injuries and had to sit out some time, you at least had that contingency plan with, with David Krejci there who can step into a t- uh, first-line role with Brad Marchand and Dave Pasternak, still be pretty good, right? Like, you're still at a pretty good solution. Bergeron misses time now. You've got, what, Coyle, Stanika, like, Felino, how, like, you've got options, as I've said before. Have fun, guys. <laughs> yeah, you have you have options. You have guys you don't have to, like, draw out of, like, from Providence to, to help out there, but. Do you have a David Krejci who's going to, like, step into those shoes and still produce at a reasonable clip? 
Do you have a Riley Nash? Really. Yes, of course. Uh, but you know, that I think is going to be a thing to monitor, not just his overall future, but just the status of Bergeron this year, because it's a lot to ask for a guy in a win now window at his age with the mileage that he's had to not just be a, you know, a top line producer for you, but to stay healthy and to contribute. Because if he's gone for any extended stretch, even if it's, you know, week to week and he's out three plus weeks, it's not what you want to see for a Bruins team that is still going to be fighting for playoff positioning and need a legit guy driving at least one of those two top lines for most of the season. It's funny, in past years, or at least last year, the two irreplaceable guys to me were Marshan and McAvoy. Because as you said, even if you lost Bergeron, you could move Krejci up. Uh, you know, you had a little bit more depth there. Krejci's basically number one center on most teams. But this year, it feels like Bergeron's added to that mix. I mean, not to say Bergeron was not irreplaceable before he technically he was but you could kind of make up for his production uh marshan it's a little tougher given everything he does given the depth at left wing which hasn't really been much up until when you got taylor hall um and mcavoy obviously is the anchor on the back end is bergeron kind of a part of that mix now of guys you can't lose yeah i think so i think just when you look at just the the state of the depth chart and who's behind him i think you can't afford to miss him now just because there's no set contingency plan, right? Like, if Charlie Coyle is bumped up and it opens the door for Jackson Iga, is it intriguing? Yeah. I'd like to see how Jackson Iga does, right? Of course. But given the circumstances, certainly not, right? <laughs> like, perfect scenario would be, like, easing guy in while the opportunity's there without sacrificing the, you know, the end-line production, right? It's like when you bring up young prospects, like, let's say, uh, let's look at, like, Fabian Lysel, for example. People are very excited to see how he looks, right? It's much better if he's eased in at, like, the end of the season and, like, you know, once you've already locked up player positioning and see how he does, then, holy shit, like, David Postonok's hurt and, you know, Craig Smith is hurt and they need a guy on right wing. Well, let's call it Fabian Lysel. Is it interesting? Intriguing? Yes, of course. Is it good for the team? Not exactly, right? You don't want to be <laughs> rushing these guys up and, and plugging them into those roles. So it's the same with Bergeron where you've got options, I guess, but – it doesn't outweigh the loss of Lugan Gallic version for any extended stretch of time this season. It's funny. You mentioned the getting thrown right in and you think back to 2017, the playoffs when McAvoy just got thrown right in. Now, no NHL experience before just into the playoffs and he was just a menace and he was good. And now obviously he's been elite good ever since, but you wonder like that could have thrown off his entire career. Like there are a lot of guys who that would have completely derailed things. If they, if things maybe didn't go well, it is not a miracle that he's been as good as he has been, but a lot of guys, as I said, could not handle kind of the introduction to the NHL that McAvoy had. And you hope that Lysel doesn't have to have that. You know, you hope Lysel isn't forced right in. Um, and maybe, who knows? Maybe he can withstand it. Like I, I have not seen much of Fabian Lysel. Maybe he can. Um, interested to see what happens with him because that'll be someone we watch throughout the year as well. Um, but those are the biggest storylines I think this year that at least we can see now. As time goes along, they're definitely going to be way, you know, they're going to be big ones as well. Um, so very interesting to see how uh, things all play out. And where better to go see those things play out than over at BSJ, Boston Sports Journal, with you, Connor. What can the people look forward to? What, what would you like to plug that you're doing at BSJ right now? Yeah, we're going to be looking more and more with training camp right around the corner at uh, top roster uh roster battles, whether it's, you know, Brody Lyle and Connor Clifton or how that middle six kind of sorts out and where the best fits are. We looked at whether or not Mike Riley or Matt Grizzlick is the best fit next to a guy like Brennan Carl this year, last week. Um, 
We're obviously going to have plenty of stuff this upcoming week with uh, the Prospect Challenge coming up and rookie camp opening. So we'll give us our first chance to actually see Fabian Lysel on the ice over at Warrior Ice Arena. So we'll have all that stuff over at BSJ. So subscribe to bostonsportschannel.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at Connor Ryan underscore 93. Go do all that for CLNS Media. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Brewers Beat listeners, have a great rest of your week. (laughs) 